Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Tucker Wilson. Tucker is one of those rare musicians that was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. He even has relatives that are in the music business and are Grand Old Opry legends, like the Whites and Ricky Skaggs. Tucker spent much of his youth hanging out backstage at the Grand Old Opry. But in spite of these connections, he's well on his way to make a name for himself as a strong and professional drummer. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Twitter at working underscore drummer. You can find us on Instagram. We're also on Facebook where you can leave a message. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes where you can have a new episode sent to your smart device every Wednesday. Quick reminder, we are uh, happy to announce that we're involved with the Nashville Drummers Jam 7, which is December 14th at the Exit Inn. It's a tribute to Alex Van Halen. Also, Tucker Wilson is one of the drummers that is involved in the Nashville Drummers Jam. So without further ado, here is Tucker Wilson. You're one of the few people that uh, can say that they're a native of Nashville. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Born at Baptist Hospital, which is now, what, St. Thomas Midtown, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, born and raised. Because it's um, it's the type of town where no one really is from here. They all uh, There's a lot of people that come here and continue to come here more recently uh, to get involved in music. So a lot of times musicians, I say, hey, where are you from? Just automatically, uh, because they all were seeking something better. Um, but I have met musicians that, you know, uh, grew up here. Yeah. And I always wonder what that's like. I mean, is it, well, because my sons are growing up here and, and right. they're learning music and stuff like that. But how, how does that shape your view of music? How does that shape your view of the business? This might be a lengthy answer. Um, I'm surrounded by music on both sides of my family. So my... Let's see, where do I start? My my dad's dad, he actually uh, he just passed away this February, but he he was a session player in the fifties, sixties, seventies, on through into the eighties, mm-hmm. and he he worked in the Opry Staff Band okay. for fifty three years. Wow! So he he's played on you know countless hits and band lead you know he'll band lead tv shows he did syndicated television too um a lot of radio but mainly sessions and opry he did some road work he you know he was in like jimmy dickens's band in the 50s mm-hmm. he was in ray price's band in the 50s mm-hmm. the golden age of what, basically country music what we do but right. um he he was my hero and kind of i i, I wanted to shape you know I'm it's, he's my namesake too. Yeah. I'm I'm the last person with his last name, so. Oh, okay. Um well now my son, but Yeah. Um yeah, he I wanted to do what he did. Mm-hmm. I he was a guitar player. Okay. Oh, I didn't specify that, but he um he kind of I was like the only person that really took a lot of interest in our family of what he did, and I I would ask him a million questions. And so from from a very young age. Very young. Well, I I I was like three days old, and they brought me to the Opry, and when they used to put it on TV all the time. Yeah. And they they I was on TV, you know, like hey, this is, you know, 
uh, baby Tucker Wilson. And my mom's side, this is where it gets extensive. My mom's side, she is one of four sisters. And two of her sisters and their dad, his name is Buck White, they're the Whites on the Opry. Oh, yeah. That, that, um, you know, country and bluegrass group. So, and then my mom's oldest sister, Sharon, she's married to Ricky Skaggs. So Ricky is my uncle and he's been, he's been my uncle since way before I was born. So he, um, that I've grown up going to the Grand Ole Opry. I've been there probably 10,000 times, you know, just that, that was just the norm to me. So yeah, I like, Seriously, this is hilarious, but like Rodney Emerson, he was he was like one of the first drummers I ever saw play drums because yeah. he was playing with the Whites when I was like two years old. He's you know he's Ronnie Millsap's guy now, but he um, I remember like sitting up on the drum riser watching him you know sound check before they played, and mm-hmm. it was such a different time back then. Anybody could go on the stage, you know, walk behind the drums, and mm-hmm. so I grew up with both of my grandpas. At the Opry at the same time. Jeez. Then, you know, all of my family's at the Opry all the time. So, yeah. So, to answer your question, yeah. I, growing up in Nashville, it had everything to do with why I play music. Cause it's yeah. like, a, it's all I knew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't know that, you know, this guy that gave me a pair of drumsticks, you know, his name's Buddy Harmon. <laughs> Oh, it took me ten years to realize that, you know, he's like the first, other than like a guy named Ferris Corsi, he's the first Nashville session guy ever. There's there's two there's like two guys that pioneered drums in Nashville and he was one of them. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a pair of drumsticks. Wow. He was a staff drummer at the Opry for a long time. So Okay. It's just crazy, you know, rubbing shoulders with guys I didn't even know. I was three years old and I didn't yeah. know who they were, yeah. but he played drums, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that fascinates me because yeah. uh, personally, because I moved here 16 years ago and did not know country music mm-hmm. at all. It was the place to go. To it's one of the few places to go, I should say, mm-hmm. to um, try and make a living as a musician. Yep. So. I think that my experience is very common with a lot of people that are just looking to play music mm-hmm. and good music. Not necessarily country music, but just good music and good situations and professional situations. So we're exposed to stuff that we didn't know before. And so we go through this whole learning process and the history and um, and discover new things and are just fascinated. The way we discovered rock, the way we discovered jazz, the way we discovered... All these things, mm-hmm. you know, the good and the bad and all those things. But <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're, I mean, it's just second nature, you know, Yeah, it's, to, it, to know these people, but then to put the pieces together. I, it's funny. I, I feel like I'm in the family business. Like yeah. it, it's, I didn't, I, I haven't really, I kind of made it a point early on. I was like, I, I don't want to use my family to get, you know, to work. I don't want to say, you know, well, my family is this and this and this. No one cares. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just the norm to me. I just, they're my singing aunts and grandpas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. musical uncles. and. 
So did you pick up sticks early, or were you playing other instruments? I've been playing drums since I was about my son's age now, so a year and a half old. Wow. I got my first drum set. Um, so my, my birthday's in January. I got it the Christmas before my third birthday, so I was two. Okay. I was two in the next, yeah, the next month I turned three. So I, I was basically like almost three years old. I got my first drum set. Jeez. And it, I actually, before that, made my own drum set. I had a toy. My parents still have it. I don't know how I thought of this, but it was a, a toy, and it had, I guess I combined two toys. It was this thing, you know, the um, square in a square hole, circle in a, in a yeah, yeah, yeah. round hole. Yeah. I turned it over, and it had a little lip on it, like a rim yeah. of a drum. So I would turn it over, and I would angle it on the top. <laughs> and I, my mom would, you know, she got new shoes. She'd pull the, the, the piece of plastic that keeps the shoe from bending or whatever. Uh-huh. She'd give those to me. I'd make them into drumsticks. And I had this other toy that had this little bell on it, and that was my symbol. <laughs> and so I would, I would play, I would watch TV. I, you know, I'd watch if the operas on TV or mm-hmm. music videos. I'd play to that. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, "Well, okay, I think, I think he likes drums." So they. My, you know, my grandpa, he, I think he went and asked one of his buddies, you know, hey, do you, what's the smallest drum set we can find? And they found a little, yeah, it was like a CB 700, but the right. miniature version of that. Yeah, so, yeah. And yeah. I wore it out. Wow. Yeah, it was hilarious. Did you take lessons from anybody? I took formal lessons for five or six years, but it was very, very off and on. Uh-huh. From a guy um, who's still a drummer in town named Dan Ogren. He's actually a metro, um, I think he's a lieutenant in uh, the Nashville you know, Metro Police. Oh, wow. He's a fine drummer mm-hmm. and had had the coolest setup in his garage. Mm. He had two monster, monster kits. One was a, an entire kit of Rototoms. What? An entire kit of Rototoms. It's amazing. It blew me away. And then he had his old, like, 73 Blue Sparkle Ludwig kit, but it was like a nine-piece drum set. I was, I was in heaven. Yeah. And so, you know, but he, he made sure to start me on a pad. He taught me, you know, he was teaching me how to read before I ever went to reading school. And, and he, I hated it. I, I was going to ask I, you about that. I hated like, that. Because as a, when we geek out, for me to sit down and play a pattern over and over is fine. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. For me to work on paradiddles or something, something like that, I'm like, why doesn't, why wouldn't anyone want to do this? Well, no. What's funny is I ended up in high school being very, very serious about like core drumming, like DCI. Okay. The mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to be in the Phantom Regiment. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. So I, I took that very seriously for three or four years, and and now that's how I warm up. I, I can play traditional grip, you know, that's, but I, for the longest time, I hated it. I was like, I just want to, let me, can I just go tear up that nine piece drum set, man? Like (laughs) put on, you know, put on a a, a tune that I know some deep purple or something. Let me just go just rip it up. So, so how did your love with rock come into play within this family that was rooted heavily into country music in Nashville and the Opry? Um, I would have to say, it was just kind of a natural thing. My my uncle Ricky and and his wife Sharon, my aunt Sharon, um, they had a, a son 
who's only nine months older than me. Mm-hmm. And so he and I were like brothers. His name's Luke. And he got really, really into rock music too. And so my mom and dad, you know, I, I grew up going to church and stuff, but they, they were never, um, they were never really, you know, they weren't careful about, I mean, they were careful about, you know, I couldn't watch MTV and stuff like that, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they would let me listen to pretty much any any kind of music. Okay. If I was interested in it, they were like, okay, yeah, you know, go listen. So I, I kind of discovered through my mom and dad, because they, they have great musical taste, mm-hmm. and, and um, I grew up on 90s country, 80s country, but I also grew up on, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s rock, too, so... Right. Just really, it was a, a full on like just an onslaught of just whatever I could listen to, get my hands on. I'd listen to it. So yeah, I think I would, you know, I'd spit out the bones and I really honed in on one area. Yeah. So I know that sometimes there's families, you know, you have church families that mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up, uh, you know, there was all this fear of rock and roll influencing kids to do things like you know, commit suicide and worship Satan and things like that. And so my church, when I was a kid, was so afraid of the things that I was listening to, you know. And uh, what does houses of the holy really mean? Is that, a, is that a pentagram? Right. Is that On a, the front of that record? Right. What does it mean, star man? Is it, right. yeah. he, he's naked. Why is he naked on the front? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> We're talking about dragons, man, all right? Which, talking- which made me want to listen to it even more. you get involved with christian music at some point or do you still do i absolutely did absolutely did um that's actually out of high school i didn't go to college i never stepped foot in a classroom you're not university material not university material (laughs) yeah i i just i my parents were like you know you go to college and we'll help you through or somehow or or you can go and be a musician and we'll also help you through somehow. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they believed in me and they, they saw, I guess my, my just willpower to go and just do it. I I knew I was the young guy. I couldn't go and play in bars yet. And so honestly, the first, the the best thing that I could have done was I went and played Christian music Mm -hmm. because I, they don't play bars. You know, right. play churches. Yeah. And I, it doesn't matter how old you are. So I, that's not why I did it, but it, it ended up working out in my favor. Sure. So I, right out of high school, I got really, I, I kind of got bummed out. I was like, man, I just want to go do sessions. Mm-hmm. I want to I be a session guy. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I still feel that way right now, but, right. you know, some days. But I, I was like, I just want to go do sessions. But I was like, man, nobody's going to take me seriously. You know, and I'm never going to get hired at this age to go play with like Carrie Underwood or I, I really wanted to be for a little while. I wanted to be Garrett Goodwin who plays with Carrie. Okay, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to do that. He's like a rock drummer, plays country, and then I really got into you know Chris McHugh, and then mm-hmm. you know Chris McHugh started out playing Christian music, and so right. did, so did Garrett Goodwin. Yeah, right. And um, a couple months later, my mom she was working uh, for this this Christian author. And setting up events, and she met this guy who was in a, a Christian band. His name is Justin Rivers, and he uh fantastic country artist. And mm-hmm. um, but he was in a band 
called Austin's Bridge. Okay. And um, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm in a band. And this is to my mom. They were in a, like a different city at an event. And, and she was she was telling him, I guess, that I play drums. And and he uh, he gave my mom his number to give to me so I could call him. He's like, yeah, we'll audition him. Okay. I was like, all right, Mom, thanks. And what was your experience playing with bands up to that point? Um, I had been in a couple of rock bands and, you know, in high school. I had never played for an artist. I'd never played. I was 18, almost 19, and had never played for an artist before. But had you played for an audience with the rock bands? Oh, yeah, yeah, plenty yeah. of times. I, I just, you know, I, I was in a... Um, I was in a, a pretty hot and heavy, pretty serious, like blues cover band for a long time in high school. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, Friday nights, if I if I wasn't in the marching band going to go do a football game, I'd go to a a club or a blues jam or something. We mm-hmm. probably did a hundred or hundreds of shows with this blues band. Wow! And so I was, I wasn't afraid, or I I wasn't I, I was right at home. Right, right, but. I'd never played with an artist before, you know, being in in their band and yeah. playing with tracks and yeah. I it was new to me. So, I auditioned and they were like, "Yeah, man. That was great. Let's do it. You want to go?" I was like, "Okay." <laughs> you know. They were like, "We're going to we're going to pay you uh, what like $75 a show." I was like, "Done." <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Man, I can I can do so much stuff with $75 a show. I'm 18, 19 years old. I <laughs> right, mean, right, this right. is great. Yeah. So I did that for... Three shows a year? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I, they actually worked me pretty good. Yeah. They, um, they they worked me pretty good for like nine or ten months for a while. They were in a van and okay. playing churches and events and conferences and... It's a good way to cut your teeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. So. so you were doing, you guys were running tracks. Did you have, like... <clears throat> funny. It's funny, actually. They were running tracks on an iPod. Yes, on I've done that. iPod, like a... was it? An iPod Mini or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like mm-hmm. a little little blue or green iPod Mini. And it was the worst, worst thing ever. I mean, they, that's all they could do right at that right, time, you know? Right, they, right. We eventually moved on to Ableton, uh-huh. and I, I I started getting versed in that a little bit, and but for a while it was an iPod, yeah, and it was it was tough. You hit start, and there'd be that little delay, and oh yeah, you didn't know if it, it was like hey, would you have to stop it when the song is done because it would go to the next song? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, and I was like, all right, you know, we're gonna play this next song for you, and uh, it's called this. Pause. <gasps> One, two, three. You know, it was like. I know. The crowd was probably like, no, these guys are, they really got it together. So. <laughs> there is an art to that when bringing the song in, right when maybe the lead singer has a spiel that he has that he uses every night. I'm dealing with that right now. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with a full redundant track rig. And I mean, yeah, I still have to, you know, it's a little different every night. I have to. And, all right, I'll go now. Yeah. You know, and make sure you have to hope for. So, was this experience invaluable? I mean, did you? Oh yeah. Did you learn a lot? Yeah, I feel like 
even playing with this they were a Christian country band too. So if you can it's a subsidiary of a subsidiary, you know, kind of genre wise. It's mm-hmm. it's kinda of like I wonder how many people are gonna be at the show tonight. Like there was there was a show this is the funniest thing ever. There was a show we played in Kentucky and there were signs, I guess, in this little town showing where the show was. Yeah. And somebody had taken all the show uh, the signs down and said show canceled. What? Or just they just took the signs down or okay. something. <clears throat> it was really bad. The uh the the guys I was playing with, they were they were really, really mad. There were three people there. And we oh, played. You guys outnumbered the audience. We did. We outnumbered <laughs> the audience and we played. And um those three people really loved it, I guess. We really uh, we played with the lights on and oh no oh yeah it was it was great it was it was like it was not set up for what we were doing. And then that night, I guess the the in the place there was a restaurant in the in the same building and they served us like frog legs. I, like the nights like that, I'll never forget. I can remember every yeah every aspect of that yeah. show just because it was so bad yeah. Man, I remember so. doing a gig uh, when OJ was being chased on TV. 1994. And we were trying to play, and they were like, hey, keep it down. Like, everyone was watching TV. And like, no, no, we're supposed to be playing right now. And so we'd we'd start, and people would turn around and yell at us to stop playing because everyone was just glued to the TV. And so uh, I was like, screw it. I'm getting drunk. Hey, the, the, the glove didn't fit, though. What's that? The glove didn't fit. The glove didn't <laughs> <laughs> Smelled what? Um. So, how long did that last? Uh, let's see. Not the gig. I mean, uh, not that night, but uh, oh. the whole tour. <laughs> oh, uh, let's see. I, that so night I, lasted forever. <laughs> I played with them from 2009 to probably 2000. In like beginning of 2009, probably like the spring to the end of the next year. Okay. So the end of near the end of 2010, they um they ended up. Doing a record with Jada Marcus from Rascal Flatts, mm-hmm. yeah, and they, they, I'm I'm not talking bad about these guys, but they were on the worst record label in the entire world. They were on a Southern Gospel mm-hmm. record label, mm-hmm. and it's got to be tough. It, You're it's right. the worst. We we yeah. get booked with these quartets and stuff, these Southern Gospel quartets, and I, you know, there's plenty of people that love them, but I I, I don't. I don't mind saying that I don't like that stuff. That yeah, is, yeah, sure. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of false things going on, and mm-hmm. just that's just my opinion about that. But they we'd get booked on these like quartet, like these um, these sings. That's what they'd call them. You know, do a quartet singing, mm-hmm. and it'd be like these four quartets with their instant replay machines. Mm-hmm. You know, they're or they're what 360 machines, and then us would you guys have a drummer? Yeah, what you all have a bass player? Yeah, it was like, yeah, <laughs> it was just the worst. They, they, the guys in the band hated it. Was it tough? I mean, was were there volume issues? Was it was it? I, sometimes they they would, I think there was a contest to see how many shields they could put in front of the drums. <laughs> I, I think I might hold some sort of world record for that. And did you? have to compensate for you know did you your your playing style your because i know that sometimes is a tough thing it's it it's when you're playing different types of gigs 
you know, we, we talk to a lot of players that are talking about, you know, hitting the drums, drawing the sound out, and, you know, putting on a show, whether it's, you know, we just talked to Sean Fuller or Rich Redman, and they're talking mm-hmm. about moving and creating this show both visually and audibly for the per- person in the audience. I'm not a one-upper by any means, but I can one-up them. Okay. On As far as putting on a show. Okay. I'm... I don't. I, if anybody is listening and they know me, they know that I'm not like the most showy drummer. I, I play. I try to get the job done, and I I love to play drums. Yeah. I, I kind of try and aim for the bottom kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm playing for the song, but I'm also you know I'm there because I love to do it. But yeah. But there's one instance when I had to put on the biggest show of my entire life, and actually it was. That same band, Austin's Bridge. Yeah. They got picked up to tour with this like Southern Gospel superstar named uh, Guy Penrod. Okay. He's like he's like salt and pepper Jesus. He looks like Jesus with gray hair. Okay. And he's got he's got one of the greatest biggest voices I've ever heard. And with he was in the Gaithers. You know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. 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 It looks yeah. like kinda of dresses like Chuck Norris a little yes. bit, like, you know. <laughs> but he but he looks like he's he's like six foot six, dresses like a cowboy, looks like Jesus. It's just a full on slot visually, but they he wanted to take out Austin's bridge and use the band and I was still in the band. And he's like, We what we want to do is I'll do three, y'all do three, we'll kinda do mix up our sets. I was like, Okay, I can do that. Yeah. And he said I'm not used to playing with a drummer. Mm-hmm. Or if we have a drummer, he's not mic'd. Mm. He's just playing with the tracks, and mm-hmm. it's he's faking it. Mm-hmm. He said, but since you have mics on, and you're actually going to be playing the Austin's Bridge tunes, yeah, I need you to mime the drums. Because I don't want his, you to... He doesn't want me to play. His songs are tracks. Is I, that what you're saying? His, his music was... So if you looked on my left at this point with Austin's Bridge with Ableton rig, yeah. So on my left I had a I had a 13 inch MacBook Pro with you know Ableton six or seven. It was oh it's been a while, and then on the right of that computer I had a 17 inch MacBook Pro with iTunes opened up. Okay. And so what we do? It was Guy's personal computer. Yeah. And. He would he would make the set list and put the songs in order on his own computer and hand me the computer yeah. and say all right I had two interfaces I had two separate computers it was the the craziest thing I've ever done and he he um he would give me hand signals when to start the songs and and I I would start and then I would just kind of you know. Start, you know, I learned the songs. I knew the songs, but I would just, it's Shannon Forrest on the tracks. It was great. Oh. Great tracks. Yeah, sure. Because he had a solo record out. It's what, that's the tunes we were playing, but I wasn't actually playing the drums. But how would you, I mean, would the people notice that you're not really hitting the crash cymbals or? You ever seen that video of Alan Jackson playing with his drummer has no drumsticks? No, I don't. I, they told Alan that his band couldn't play live. So Alan told his drummer, I don't even know, the, I forget the drummer's name. But he told the drummer to play without drumsticks. That's what I was basically doing. I would hit the cymbals, but I would like, I'd push them. I wouldn't even hit the cymbals. I would, I would mime and I would put your put, stick I'd, on I'd the cymbals. Push the cymbals. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. It was one of the worst things I've ever had to do. And then after a while, he could tell I was uncomfortable. So he was like, do you have brushes? Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can play lightly with the brushes. Mm-hmm. So play light mm-hmm. with brushes. So I wasn't heard still, but mm-hmm. I was like, man, I promise I can play these tunes and you won't even tell that there's, you know, the drums will just feel a little, you know, feel a little louder. Yeah. It's just behind you more. Yeah, yeah. And he so actually, but the, my story continues with him. Okay. <laughs> so he ended up wanting to go to Europe. Uh-huh. He's huge, huge in Europe. Like oh, he's six a, foot six. That that as well. It's it's a that yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's great. That's that's hilarious. He he is he's a superstar over there. Yeah. And. And so he was like, hey, I want to take you guys to Europe with us. Mm-hmm. And the Austin's Bridge guys couldn't go. But he's like, Tucker, I still want you to go with me if you mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll give you this much money. It's two weeks. You know, we're going to going to Denmark, uh, the Netherlands, Sweden, and Norway. Hello. And then went to the Faroe, the Faroe Islands. Yeah. Which is just the raddest place ever. So I was like, man... Nine shows, or no, eight shows, 15 days, I'm in. Yeah, It's more of a sightseeing trip than anything. No doubt. No so doubt. I went, and by that time, I had played a couple shows with him just himself, and he actually started letting me play drums. Okay. But... Still to tracks? I mean, there were still drums coming? Still drums in the tracks, yeah. but I was I was playing every single note, just like the record. And he had a full band at this point. Mm-hmm. He had a guy on electric, a guy on acoustic, a bass player... And actually, Luke, my cousin Luke, who's Ricky and Sharon's son, he I actually asked him to come and play bass in Europe. So me and Luke got to go to Europe sweet, together. And sweet. does Luke go by Skaggs? Yeah, Luke Skaggs. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And he actually just got engaged like three days ago. So oh, that's cool. cool. Congrats, Luke. Um, but yeah, he's he's actually one of the best guitar players I've ever heard. Wow, Luke is. That's awesome. he's Luke Skaggs. I mean, he's got it. You know, his mom and dad are. Some of the most talented people in this town. So, but <laughs> Sweet. yeah. So he actually went out and played bass with us. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, playing playing over tracks with bass and, and drums in it. And drums in it. Oh yeah. Were the drums mic'd? Drums were mic'd. So it. <clears throat> what was happening was out front. You were getting an onslaught of. I've used onslaught three times already. I've said that a lot. You were getting it just full on. You were getting track drums and you were getting real drums. Mm-hmm. And I guess whatever Swedish guy was running in front of the house was having to mix them together. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it sounded interesting. You made it very clear like, look, I'm not looking for my family to. Give me work. I'm yeah. gonna do it on my own. Um, but how do you within that? It's almost like an obstacle you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. That it look, is. It's 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 not just taken for granted that I have family in the business. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I have to prove myself. So there's stories of drummers and musicians that come to Nashville that don't know anybody, that are working, that are doing all this stuff. You now have the opposite problem. You mm-hmm. knew all these people. Mm-hmm. And they saw me, they they all saw me grow up. And now I've worked with some of them. 
Did you ever have, have a, an issue with, like, oh, I remember little Tucker, and, no, he's not really playing, is he? You know, or do they do they have to overcome this kind of preconceived notion, or do you just come in and play and, like, oh, he's ready? Well, there's a little bit of both. Uh, there, there's some people that, you know, might not have seen me for a while, and they think I'm a guitar player. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's right, Tucker, you play guitar, don't you? How, how's the guitar thing going? It's like, I play drums. Like I, I play drums. <laughs> that's what I do. I, I, I'm the only drummer in my family. Yeah. So that's why they think that maybe I play guitar because everybody else does. Right. So what? What was there any strategy or was there any particular one thing that you said this is going to help me move my career forward? My ability to talk to people and to not be. I'm, I love. I absolutely love to network. I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah. And sometimes it's like the necessary networking thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to go do this. But sometimes it's it's like I, I'm kind of a socialite. I love to do that. Yeah. I love hanging out with people. Yeah. Well, that I think that's a, that's a very important thing. And and some of us struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But there's no denying that it is very important. There's a balance, though, <laughs> and and you know, Kevin Murphy talks a lot about this. If if you know he and I are getting coffee, you know, he'll notice this guy. Man, this guy just he's got to shut up, or he's not he's gonna get run out of town. Mm-hmm. You know, um, th- there's a there's a lot of that, and you see guys come to town, and like in in the the short time that I've been a pro guy, and it's really funny to call myself a professional drummer. It's it's really hilarious, actually. No, but I don't think so. In the the short time, it's like. I've already seen guys come and go. Yeah. In the seven years that I've been a professional mm-hmm. making money drummer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I've had to think to myself, like, what did that guy do? Why Why did he leave? Mm-hmm. Why did he get fired? What ran him out of town? Mm-hmm. And it's usually, they don't know the fine line in between networking and germing. Mm. Like, so how would you explain that to somebody? Well, don't go... Don't if you see a tour bus, don't go knock on the door and say, "Hey, man, can I come and hang out?" It's like that's not going to happen, bro. Like, don't do that. Like, you've got you've got to find the fine line of of hanging out and and talking and and you know don't don't go up to somebody immediately and talk about drums. Mm. Like, get to know them on a personal level first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and say, you know, how's the kids? How's the wife? And yeah. It's a little small talkish, but you you know, may, uh, be Could relational be with like them. Be like the gateway. Yeah, you know, the yeah. Way. I think that's how David Parks and I first met. We started talking, you know, drooling over his new Red Sparkle. Absolutely, kit. that was like the first conversation that we had. You know, when sometimes started. it's necessary to talk about drums first. And, yeah, yeah. And then you can you know figure each other out and you know become buddies that way, and mm-hmm. you know then you'll get. You'll have the friends that see, you know, your friends because they saw you play drums. Mm -hmm. And then that might be the only thing you can relate to or that you ever talk about drum-wise. You you might not ever talk drums with them Mm -hmm. except for the time they saw you play. Yeah, yeah. Is Has that led to more work? Have you seen the The, results of this? The gig I'm on now. Yeah. I'm on it because... Of my connections with with people that I've made. Can yeah. you tell that story? And Absolutely. Um, you want me to actually? I'm only I'm only two gigs away now from where I'm at. 
You want me to just keep going? How I? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm getting really close actually sure, to where I back, am today. Yeah, so back up. Let's back up. Um, I remember. I actually remember now what I was doing right when I got married. So I was actually guitar teching and drum teching um, a little bit for my uncle. Okay. I did, I had a little lapse in work, and I was like, well, I, he asked me if I wanted to come out and guitar tech. I was yeah. like, yeah, I can come do that. And it was it was very light tech work. Wasn't like changing many strings or anything, but it was cleaning and bringing stuff out. And but also, I was teching for Tom Rohde. Yes, yes. Which is, I was actually on the bus with him when he died. Oh wow! It, it was crazy. What a sweetheart! Man. I know it was. It was a. It was a huge loss. Tom Rohde, uh, for a lot of people may not know, amazing percussionist, uh, just a fixture in Nashville for many years. And um, when I first moved to town, Tom was one of those guys, like Tommy Wells as well. Absolutely. That um, would take the time to talk, would take the time to listen, and was a sweetheart. And what a great loss. And he was on a Christmas tour. It was it was the Skaggs family Christmas tour. He did every single one up until he passed. He was on, He was the... They did a record for that, the the Christmas record. He or they did two of them. He's on both of them. Okay, just percussing his ass off, if you will. Mm-hmm. Just playing so good. Yeah, yeah and it, and now it, you know, basically it's Eric Darkin now. Okay, the percussionist. That's you know, it was him. It was if you need a percussionist in town, it was him, Eric Darkin, and there's um, um, Kenny Malone. Okay. That's basically the the guys. Yeah. But yeah, man, he he definitely poured into my life a lot. And he he took me under his wing, you know, when I was out there with him and he always asked about my life and how things were going and yeah. You know, he'd give me advice and mm-hmm. but I was so I was teching for him and I I did probably two or th- three or four tours of that with them. Mm-hmm. And um then I started, after that, I started a, a valet job, like probably most drummers in town, most musicians. I, I valeted for a while. Okay. And I have a cousin who married this guy named Ben Guidry. He's a bass player in town. Mm-hmm. And I got to know him through my cousin. And he started working for a guy named Josh Thompson. Okay. Started playing bass. Mm-hmm. And um, band leading. And I would always, you know, I knew the guys in that band a little bit, and I um, would follow them. And they they were playing a CMA Fest kickoff thing down on Broadway, like the day before CMA Fest started, 2013. Okay. And I was valeting, and I got off and walked down the road and saw them play. Yeah. And they played great, and uh, I saw Ben. He went and played. And I didn't see him for about an hour. And I think we were watching like Jana Kramer or somebody else was playing. And mm-hmm. I see Ben just cutting a path through the crowd, just cutting a trail. Hmm. And I was like, uh-oh, something happened. Yeah. He didn't have a good look on his face. Yeah. He very quickly puts his arm around me and we start walking yeah. down Broadway. Yeah. He's like, hey, how fast can you learn 22 songs? And I was like, What? <laughs> He was like, yeah, they just fired the guy. 
They just fired the drummer. I was like, wait. And I had done what actually I forgot to say. I'd done one sub date with them. Okay. And and it was Brian Dowd who he couldn't make it. He was the drummer for Josh and I filled in and it was fun. We did like seven songs and went home. Yeah. And they I'm sure they must have liked it. Yeah. Cause Ben approached me and was like, Hey man, we got a show in like two days. We're playing ninety minutes. It's yeah. twenty twenty two songs. Yeah. I was like, okay. I know eight of them already. Sure. So I went home and learned and learned and learned and just crammed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben called me and said, hey, man, they're they're willing to make this au- this your audition if you want to do it. They, it was a four-day run after the CMA Fest. I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to. That's a nice way to audition, too. It was awesome. Yeah. It was fantastic. You've got time to prove yourself. Yep. Settle in. The first show was uh, co-headlining with Thomas Rhett uh-huh. at this little club in, I think, New Jersey or something. And so I had plenty of time to cram and listen and listen and listen. And I, I, shared a, I, I shared a kit with uh, uh, Chris Kimmer, who plays with Thomas still. Mm-hmm. Who You need to interview him because he's awesome. Okay. And he's Canadian. <laughs> um, and Chris had played with Josh for like a year. Okay, and so he he was giving me you know some tips and cues and kind of on what's the four day run with Thomas Rhett? It was just one the first just the show, first show, the, was my Thomas. very first show okay. with Thomas Rhett. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, and so I get up and we played first and it went great. Mm-hmm. I, I might I might you know missed maybe a couple things or whatever, but and then we the next night we did another show and and Josh hired me on the spot. Nice, like on stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was like, hey, man. Turned around in the tall bag. He's like, hey, man, sounds great. You know, love to have you out here. And then he turned around onto the, you know, the the main mic, his main mic, and was like, we'd like to welcome our new drummer. We just hired him just a minute ago. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then he made me do a, a drum solo. <laughs> so that was really great. And then he made me do a drum solo almost every night because he knew that I hated doing them. <laughs> and I, I'm getting better at them now, I guess. But I would have been yeah. in big trouble. I mean. Oh man, <laughs> oh it was ter- my my drum solo was terrible. And I, you know he, he he liked to do shots on stage, so he handed me one, and I had not. I'm sure I had not eaten or something, and I was feeling it pretty good. So it was it was no, it was hilarious. But that's part of the audition, man. Gosh, the hang, man, and that that led to two years with Josh. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. And I, I left Josh January of this year. Okay. So. And where where did you go from there? What uh, Was there a reason you, you left him? Did you have- yeah. Um, my my cousin Ben, who got me the gig, he, he left about three months prior to me leaving, mm-hmm. and um, he joined Tracy Lawrence's band. Oh, cool. So he's still playing with Tracy right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Things started changing with management, and mm-hmm. Josh's management was notoriously not good. Mm. Like, there just needed to be. I, I felt like I, I owed it to them, and I owed it to myself, and I just needed to get out of there. Like, I didn't do anything wrong or yeah. whatever, but they actually tried. Uh, they actually 
were gonna try and and fire me or get rid of me, mm. go a go a different direction, if you will. Sure. <laughs> and we've all heard that a thousand times. Um, thinly veiled. And I was like, listen, man. I was like, you can't just you can't just fire band members just because it something doesn't feel good. You don't know what it is, but something's not right. So you can't just go and hi- fire the band members like that. Mm-hmm. Just you know, without giving them a chance. Mm-hmm. It's like I wasn't. Was it like bringing hard drugs up on the bus, or you know, mm-hmm. nothing like that? It was yeah, just something didn't feel right. Yeah. So they went to the newest guy, mm. and and I fought for it, and they ended up keeping me. Mm. But then you have to kind of then I, then you're like, wait like, a minute, they wanted to fire me a year to it's the like, day late the next year I left. So it's almost like someone breaking up, wanting to break up with you, and you talk them out of it, and then you're in this relationship with relationship with this person that, like, wait a minute, they wanted to break up with me. So mm-hmm. for that year, was it? It was great. He was pushing a new record. Okay, pushing a new single. It was a great, great song, and it should have should have done something. But his his record label, which is now defunct, it was. Uh, uh, Show Dog Universal mm-hmm. is the worst record label in the whole world. Sorry, everybody, if you're listening and you worked <laughs> for them, but they they were terrible. Yeah, they were. They um, there were some some radio people that really loved the song and tried, but then there just there were some people that didn't care, and so it didn't do anything. And and he his shows went down, and his you know he he was going through some some stuff on his own. You know, maybe a divorce or something, and just it just it didn't feel good anymore. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm just I'm I'm gonna go. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, you know, I didn't like who I was. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I I didn't. I understand. I I I was like I I want to continue to try to improve Mm -hmm. musically and as a human, and I don't feel like I can do that. Plan here anymore, so I'm going to go ahead and step down. Yeah. And did you have something waiting for you? Okay, but absolutely not. You didn't. <laughs> but there was something about the situation. Yeah. You're like, despite the fact I don't have something waiting for me, that's well, not. That's not. There's more reasons to leave. I guess I did have something waiting for me, and it was my wife and my new child. Yes. And I. I think last year with Josh, I did 148 shows, mm-hmm. and that's 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 enough. Mm-hmm. For you know, there's people out here doing 200 shows still, but one, you know, knocking on 150, that's that's a lot. You're gone all the time, and I was like, uh, you know, I left on day three of my kid's life mm-hmm. to go do a four day run. Yeah, and. The day we came home from the hospital with him, I had a show in Nashville that day during CMA week. Like, wow. you know, I, I needed to come home and, and spend some time with, with them and with him and bond and get to know him. Yes. You know, and, and now we're we're very bonded now. And I don't but, know if we were recording when you told me. How old is he now? Oh, he's uh, uh, 17 months. So he's like almost a year and a half old. Yeah, yeah. I've so been there, man. It's, it's the greatest. Being a dad is the coolest thing ever, but being gone from him is not very cool. No, no, um, no. You know, getting to play drums for a living is awesome, and that that whole thing is great. That's the that's the end goal. But 
Honestly, I, I try and put being a dad first. I was doing weddings and stuff, and mm-hmm. I think actually one day, this has been three months ago now, um, one day I was about to go to a wedding and play, uh-huh. packing my drums up and, you know, as you do, and I got a phone call, just random. Yeah. Didn't know the number, so I just answered it, and um, it was Kanan Smith's tour manager. Yeah. And I was like, hey, man, you know, cool. How did you get my number? He's like, well, I got, I got your number from uh, from a guy named Jeremy Little who plays bass for – he's the band leader for Maddie and Tay. Okay. He's like, and we also got a recommendation from uh, a guy named Keo Stroud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Keo. <laughs> Throw me a bone. So um I was like, Cool man, um uh, you know, what's going on? He was like, Well, we we're drummerless right now, so we gotta you know we wanna audition you. Mm-hmm. We got you know, four or five guys we we're gonna audition and is that you know, do you wanna do that? I was like, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's like, We're on the Dirks Bentley tour right now. Sweet. And doing this and that. We've got a bunch of stuff lined up. You know, his single just went number one about three weeks ago at the time it did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely, count me in, I'll be there. Yeah. And I had like two months of pretty solid wedding work yeah. lined up. Yeah. And I was like, well, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So I, I took it and um, it's a really interesting story how I got hired. Um, I was very prepared. Mm-hmm. I show up and I knew most of the guys on the audition, um, but they they sent me an hour block of time to go audition. And I was like, cool. I guess it's a, a long audition. Then they sent me the music, and they sent me an hour-long set. I was like, cool. Going to yeah. audition on an hour of music. Right. That's I'll unusual. Just, I'll just do it. Yeah. Just learn it. And I, I knew it without char- – I didn't chart it. Mm. I listened, played. I'd listen. I'd play. And then I just started playing. And I, I did it so much, I I just learned the stuff. Mm-hmm. I can chart. I do chart a lot, but I, I just decided to not chart this time. Sure. And so the audition comes up, and I, I go and, and do it. I get there, and um, it's the tracks and yeah. everything. And I, I they're like, all right, cool, we're going to play these songs. And we play about the fifth song, and I'm looking at my clock. You know, we got like 30 minutes left in this audition block. And I'm like, all right, man, cool. That's uh, I think that's all the tunes. And I was like, hey, are we gonna play the other ones? Mm-hmm. And they were like, wait, what other ones? What? Yeah. Other? We just sent you five. I was like, no, you sent me an hour. Yeah. And they were like, wait, we sent you an hour? I was like, yeah, I know, I know your hour set, mm-hmm. like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. They were like, really? Okay, which ones? And I I told them which ones I knew. And they were like, we have an hour set in two nights. Yeah, and you know whoever gets this thing. Oh yeah, the the funny thing about the audition was the they had three days home. Yeah, whoever got it, I auditioned at seven p.m. and we whoever got it had to leave the next day at two p.m. Get on a bus for five days. Oh my gosh, had to leave the next day. Yeah, and, and so they might have been given the five songs. Everybody but me got five songs. I got I got an hour. Yeah, by accident. Yeah, and so they. They called me that night and said, hey, bro, we'd like to bring you out, yeah. you know, 
see how it meshes and see how it works. And yeah. I think right after the first show, Kanan was like, we'd love to have you out, man. Awesome. So here we are two and a half months, three months later. Nice. And yeah, so I've been playing with Kanan, um, finished out the Dirks Bentley tour. Finished, uh, we start this Friday, start his first headlining tour of clubs. Wow, that's awesome. I'll leave this Friday. Actually, you know, speaking of Sean Fuller, who I guess you had last, or a few few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going on the Florida Georgia Line cruise this weekend, which will be that's hilarious. Right. You mentioned that. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> uh, there's going to be so many people on that cruise that I know. Yeah. But I'll get to hang out with Sean, so that'd be yeah, fun. He's yeah. he's a blast. Yeah. But uh, Kanan is really good friends with those guys. And then I guess next year, in January, we start a arena tour direct supporting for Brantley Gilbert. Okay. So that'll be again interesting. I don't know any of those guys. And okay. Yeah. They have a lot of they wear a lot of chains, and I, I don't wear any chains, but they <laughs> wear a lot. They like wallet chains, I think, and they, they do. Uh, yeah. I need to get me a wallet chain, I guess. You, or not. Or not. Or not. I'm no, just. No. I'm gonna stick with not. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's Kanan. To say the least, he's very busy. We did the Today Show. Awesome. Um, about a month a month and a half ago. It um, sounds like a yeah. happy accident. Yeah. That you did not let get by you. You came in prepared, no charts. Uh, so that was proven. Go out on the first run. They they might have said, "Well, we got a couple drummers that would work," but hey, geez, uh, you know he knows the whole Tucker knows the whole thing. And then you, after the first show, they're like, "Great." I mean, they told me that I I did play better than anybody else. Oh, great! So that that great. worked out too. Yeah, great. But you know, Kanan is he wanted a rock drummer, yeah. and I I kind of I can fill that I can fill that position if need be. Yeah. That's kind of what I do. Mainly, anyways. I mean, I, I can do, I, I can go and cop Eddie Bear's licks all day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I want to be Greg Morrow, but <laughs> I do. I want to be Greg. Morrow. You know, I, but I, I did a tour with Josh with with Thompson. I, um, it was us, Randy Hauser, and Justin Moore. I literally, that's why I know Kevin Murphy so well. Uh-huh. He and I basically were on the road for six months together. Yeah, and he yeah. took me under his wing. Um, he still thinks I'm a punk kid, but, um. <laughs> He uh, yeah, he took me under his wing, and I got to watch him play rock drums every night. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that he's 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 like the quintessential rock drummer mm-hmm. in town. He mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. Um, and getting to watch him every night, just you know, he and I are huge Bonham freaks too. Mm-hmm. We just, I think on that tour, I had a Green Sparkle twenty six inch bass drum. Oh, I had a twenty six thirteen sixteen Green Sparkle Ludwig kit. Nice on that tour. Yeah. I was totally nerding on Bonham, and he, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I, Kanan wanted a rock drummer, and I kind of, I, I, it worked out, yeah. And, and to go back, we were talking about networking, and uh, you, you were saying, I've got a story that leads to that. And the call that you got for the audition mm-hmm. was recommended by a couple different people, and one of them was Keo. Yeah. And when I think of 
people that have this ability to network socially, mm-hmm. uh, Keo has always been there. He's always Absolutely. been that guy. He gets around. He, well, he, <laughs> yeah, sure he does. And he ha- and he does it in such a way that you're like, man, that guy's he's always out. I, I, he's a great hang. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not this germing thing. It's this networking thing. It's there's this, if you're going to hang and talk with them, it's it's more of an honest thing than. This hey, have you heard of any auditions? Hey, have you, it's not that. It's just normal life things. Well, Keo doesn't really care what people think about him. I don't think, and I, I love that because mm-hmm. I, I I used to struggle a lot with that. What people thought about me, sure, and it sure. it was crippling. You know, crippling mm-hmm. self doubt. Yeah. Like I think most musicians deal with, especially drummers, because we're drummers and people yeah, make fun of us all the time. Sure. But um, no, seriously though, Keo, you can talk to Keo, and it's like. What'd you do yesterday, buddy? And he's like, oh, I just hung with Greg Morrow. And, you know, then I had lunch with McHugh. Mm-hmm. And it's just, Keo just, he just friends everybody. Yeah. And yeah. and he doesn't really, he's not hanging with with guys to, you know, to use them. He's just friendly and wants to hang out. Well, we can segue into we Alex can... Van Halen because I'm also a diehard Alex Van Halen fan, so I am. Well, why would you say that, Tucker? I mean, what is it about Alex Van Halen? Why would you change the subject? Why are you talking about Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to wear this today. I really didn't. But, That's awesome. But, I'm glad you did. Yeah, my, my dad got me into Van Halen. Yeah? And absolutely. My dad's a huge Van Halen fan. And if you saw my dad, you wouldn't think you, you know, my dad's kind of a good old boy from Tennessee. You know, mm-hmm. he likes bass fishes and mm-hmm. works at the Nissan plant. And but then he likes Van Halen, likes yeah. Rush. He you know loves rock music. So my dad was like, "You got to listen to Van Halen. Mm-hmm. You got to." He's like, "No Van Hagar." <laughs> and I, I I live by that. I. After 1984, there isn't anything. Would you I, get in I, trouble if you listen to Van Halen? Would you be? Would that be grounds for kind of sacrilege? Almost? No, but I. I mean, there's some cool stuff with Sammy Hagar on it. Like sure. you know, 5150 is pretty awesome. But yeah. no, I, my my dad he only let me really listen to the Diamond Dave stuff. And my dad's name is David, and so we call my dad Diamond Dave. Okay. My like my wife, if she talks to my dad on the phone. She calls him Diamond Dave. It's pretty awesome. How old were you when you first started that? I was probably like six or seven when I first heard Ben Halen. Yeah. And it was very, uh, f- from my first, the first time I listened to them, I it was very like, ooh, this is different. Mm-hmm. Like these guys are, these guys know how to have fun. Right. It, sound, it just sounded like the perfect mixture of like, it was heavy and it was kind of dark at times, mm-hmm. but they were having at least they seemed like they were having fun. Yes. I yeah. mean, we all know that the you know Alex and Eddie didn't really like David very much after a while, but they they put on a good show, and you know my mom said my mom likes them too. My mom saw them in 1981 wow. at Municipal Auditorium yeah. in Nashville. She she said that was the coolest thing I ever saw. You know, she's <laughs> like she's like Dave. He he'd swing back and forth and. He'd jump off everything, and Eddie'd try and kick his amps over, and just a different time. Well, when you heard it, you were already playing drums, even at six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, did you 
automatically gravitate to the drums or I was I was drumming and I was already into you know to rush and, and stuff like that but the, I'd, I'd say the the two the two bands that really really were influential on me were rush and Van Halen like as far as rock and well sorry and Zeppelin obviously but yeah when I was real young it was mainly the loud and fast bands so the you know, Van Halen or rush I um, Zeppelin has surpassed those. Yeah. I'm I'm older, more mature, and I understand Zeppelin way more now. But, um, but yeah, Van Halen. It was like, whoa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you know, the opening of Mean Street. Mm. Like that's the coolest thing ever. That might be the coolest guitar riff ever. I I just I just like my dad was like, you got to hear this song, man. You got to hear this song. You know, it's the coolest thing ever. Were you playing along with the records? I played along to 84 a lot because I, one Christmas, I wanted music for Christmas. I, I wanted CDs of, of good rock music that my parents listened to. I told them that, and they, I got 1984. I think I got either Diver Down or maybe Women, Women and Children First on, on CD. You know, I got a bunch of other stuff too, but man, 1984, that record, I, I, I probably put a, put a uh, groove in the disc, you know, the laser probably burnt a <laughs> yeah. groove in it, but, right. um, and now I have, I have most of the Van Halen records on vinyl now. So, okay. I was listening to that. It's funny when you become a fan, you end up buying the same record or the same songs two, three, four times. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, I had this on CD when I was a kid. Now I'm going to order it again on iTunes. Ooh, now they have a vinyl reissue. So I've bought some records like three or four times, so that's probably... I'm with you. Yeah. So coming up in December, December 14th, there's the Nashville Drummer Jam, and it's a tribute to Alex Van Halen. A couple players are mentioning what song they're going to play, and some are keeping it a secret. I, I, No one's looking forward, you know... There's no drum roll, please, for what song I'm playing. No, no okay. one, no one's coming to that thing just to see me play. They're like, oh man, big, you know, big surprise for you know what Tucker's playing. I'm playing. Everybody wants some. Okay. So jungle drums, crazy guitars, and Dave sounding like Tarzan. So it, it's awesome. It's got everything. Yeah, yeah. It's got you know, kind of a. It's almost like a if the Beatles played Van Halen or vice versa. If Van Halen played the Beatles, the the you know the groove that he plays. Yeah. So, it, it's I just such a bizarre song, but it's so cool. So. And the first time I heard that song was in a movie with John Cusack. And if you can tell me what movie that is, I'm 25 years old, so I probably I know, that's why I'm I probably won't be able to tell you. Uh, let's see. With John Cusack in it. This is embarrassing, actually. Cause I, you know what? I don't think I'm going to answer. I'm going to see if anybody. Hears I feel like this I'm an old and soul and to, uh, comment because we need more comments on Twitter and YouTube and all that stuff. So if you know the answer, you you'll get two gold coins from the <laughs> podcast Working Drummer. No, we'll figure out a way <laughs> That's to award you. Uh, name that uh, movie. Name that movie that everybody wants. Some was recorded. So. You're playing that December 14th mm-hmm. at the Exit Inn, Excellent. Nashville Drummer's Jam. Tell me about your experience with the Nashville Drummer's Jam. Well, um, when I was playing with Josh Thompson, I was approached, um, I guess I was approached first by David Parks. Okay. I think he was like, hey, man, you know, we got an extra spot, and a lot of guys have been 
throwing your name our way to add to our list. Yeah. I was like, God, really? You know, seriously? Who am I? But they, it was the, the Bonham one. And cool. everybody knows how much of a John Bonham fan I am. So um, they were like, yeah. David was like, yeah, get, you know, send me your top three Bonham songs. And he he told me which one I was playing. Yeah. I, had to, I played a whole lot of love. Mm-hmm. So that was... That was awesome. But um, after that, it went great. And I did the next one. I guess it was the Neil Peart one. Uh, Which I saw and you killed it, man. Oh, thanks, man. That was was so much fun. And I think I picked the second, the penultimate hardest song after Billy Freeman. He he played... uh, La Vila Strangiato. Yeah, he played La Vila. He played Natural Science. (laughs) Yeah, that was was hilarious. And then the next one was the Stuart Copeland. And I didn't do it because I wasn't working. Okay. And I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't gonna like beg for a spot, with, you know, guys that have jobs should be doing that. Hmm. So it should be, it should be guys that are working, kind of, you know. I, I was just a, I, I didn't even have a drum gig anywhere huh. for the Stuart Copeland one, even though my son's middle name is Copeland after Stuart Copeland. But my, okay, my son's middle name is Copeland. Are you serious? Not after Stuart, though. Nah, that's so cool. Family name. That's awesome. Different That's awesome. Yeah. Well, but I, I was like, hey, you know what? Even though my son's middle name is Copeland, I'm, I'm, I'll sit out. I don't have to do this one. Or, yeah. You know, it, it gave, I think they were trying to free up space for guys like Chris McHugh to do it, which mm. he did He did so great. Mm-hmm. It was so cool to watch him do that. So, um, But yeah, then they approached me about the Van Halen one, and they... They wanted to know if I wanted to do it, and I was like, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny you ask. Yeah, yeah. It's been a good thing. It's yeah. been a good thing, and it's for charity. Absolutely. And uh, it's a chance for the music community and the drum community to get together. And mm-hmm. It's been growing more and more, and it's been really cool to see it grow beyond, I think, what David Parks initially thought it would be. So with him and Tom Hurst and Chris Nix growing this thing, uh, the podcast is honored to be a, a part of it. And um, hey, Tucker, thanks, man. Dude, I appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. This has been a lot of fun. So there you have it, everybody. There is Tucker Wilson. I love the stories of him working with uh, tracks, full-on tracks with drums and bass. Had to be quite an experience. My thanks again to Mike Jackson for his help. We did some extra work on the videos, the short interviews that have to do with the Nashville Drummers Jam. So thanks, Mike, for that. Appreciate that. Once again, uh, December 14th at the Exit Inn is the Nashville Drummers Jam, the tribute to Alex Van Halen. Uh, the recipient of the charity that Nashville Drummer Jam is going with this year is Open Table Nashville. I'm happy to announce that this is an organization local that my wife is a part of, and you can go to opentable.org, opentable.org to find out more about this. They help out those who are experiencing poverty and help them, uh, helping them get back on their feet, find housing. It's a great organization, relatively young organization, but they won Charity of the Year 2015 by the Nashville scene, so it's very cool. So once again, thanks everyone for listening and your comments and your support, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.